I loved having uh, everybody here up front and close in the band, but they're kind of like boxing me in today a little bit here. I got to step into this. Uh, people have asked, uh, listen, you've been without your podium for a few weeks. I'm just mixing it up. Uh, no big deal. Listen, I had folks, uh, when they came in, said, you're tucked in. You must mean business. Listen, I'm tucked in today. I got the podium back. I got a fresh cut. I, it, 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 it is difficult to raise my hands. You know, I kind of get about right here because of the tuck in So uh, during the worship time. So if you've got your Bibles, you're looking at it. Listen, Colossians is an incredible book. It is written by Paul. Uh, it was one of his earliest books that he wrote. Uh, he wrote it from prison. Many people think he possibly could have been in Rome. Uh, I, I really believe he was probably in Ephesus when he wrote this, uh, because we're gonna, as we're going to roll out, we're going to talk more about all these things later on. But as he wrote this letter, he wrote it to a group of people that he had never personally met. Paul had never met the Colossians. You see, his letters were written primarily to churches. And in the churches that he wrote to, he had helped to start them. He had been a part of them. The Colossians, he had not been a part of. Colossae is a very small town, or it was a small town. It's almost like a little backwater town. It's it's. Situated about 100, I don't know if you guys ever use your maps in the back of the Bible. Uh, the maps are always really good to look at. In fact, if you've got a Bible, go, go back and look at it. You can see. But Colossians is, is situated in what is known as Asia Minor, which is today Turkey. You'll remember, uh, we've talked about this when we were walking through the book of Revelation. And so it, the, the, the town is about 120 miles due west of Ephesus, and Ephesus is probably where he was in prison when he wrote this book. Uh, Colossae is a little small community that does not exist anymore. Uh, I had the opportunity one time to be able to go to Colossae as we were on a mission trip there in Turkey. You literally have to get off a main road. You travel through. There's nothing there except a big mound and a guy sitting there with his trunk open selling tickets so you can walk up. Literally. But when you walk up and you get on top of that mound, you can look around and you can see how it's situated and the importance of it. It was on a main travel route. Uh, it was an area that was predominantly Gentile-led. I mean, there was loads of Gentiles, but uh, there was also a prominent little Jewish Group. As I'm standing on top, you can see how Colossae is arranged. As I'm standing on top, if I look due west, you can see, well, you can't see Ephesus, it's 120 miles away. But if you look north just a little bit, like somewhere between 10 and 20 miles, depending on how you drive, you can see the town of Laodicea, what would have been Laodicea. You can also see the town right next to it, a town called Hierapolis, and it's the white. Uh, cliffs of Hierapolis because they, they have freshwater springs and those hot, fre those, excuse me, those hot salted springs. And you see the white of the sodium that is caked around. So when you're standing there, you're looking and you're going, oh, wow, okay, I see how all of this is positioned. This is the kind of little place that Paul sent this letter uh, one that he had never been to, one that was probably the size, you know, 
just to be honest with you, it's probably about the size of Christiana, maybe, maybe, maybe Las Casas. I mean, it's like, it, it's a wide spot on the road. If you're running by it, you're going to miss it really quick. If you live in Christiana, no offense, you live in Las Casas, but you understand what I'm talking about by that. This is where Paul was writing. And how did this little book, how did this place come into being? Well, it came into being because there was a man named Epaphras that many people believe came to know Jesus Christ uh, through Paul's ministry when he was in Ephesus. And when he was in Ephesus, he heard about Jesus. He heard about uh, the changed life. The Holy Spirit awakened him to salvation saved him, and he went back and began to live sin. Many people believe that not only did he start, well, you can see in verse 7, I don't know if you heard when Macklin was reading in verse 7 that the Colossians have Epaphras to thank because of that. Well, many people believe that not only did he help start Colossians or start the church at Colossae, he also helped start the church at Laodicea, probably even was involved in the church at Hierapolis. This is what we begin to see. This is what we begin to notice. And Paul is writing this letter to all of the churches and all of the ages, basically, to say, listen, you need to be aware, you need to be on guard, because when you're going to see as we walk through this, over probably, I don't I don't know exactly how many weeks, but probably up till November, somewhere in that area, what we're going to begin to see is this, is that Paul basically, where he sent a letter to the people through Epaphras, it's almost like he's sending an email to us today to say, hey, listen, there are false teachers, there are false philosophies, there's all kinds, you're living in a very secular age. Uh, They were living in the Pax Romana during that day, the peace of Rome. So art was flourishing, gods were flourishing. They still had the classical Greek gods that they, people worshipped. There, there was all kinds of things bubbling up in this church. And Epaphras probably comes to Paul and says, you know, Paul, what, what do I do? How do I combat this? And what Paul does is Paul says, I'm going to send a letter. Was that his exact words? I don't know if that was exact words, but this is what Paul does. Paul begins to write a letter to this church, a a, a group of people, basically his spiritual grandchildren, if you will. His spiritual grandchildren. You see, Paul had led Epaphras to Christ, then Epaphras went and began to share, and he began to proclaim the gospel because his life had been changed, and a, a, a little community began to grow up. His, his next generation, let me ask you a question. I'll jump in real, real quick. Uh, do any of you even have spiritual children? I bet you do, and you may not even realize it. Uh, it. People that you have been pouring your faith into, you've been pouring your life into, and now they are followers of Jesus Christ. Yes, the lights are getting brighter. The, uh, your life has uh, been poured into them. Let me get my train back here. Uh, Your life has been poured into them, and they've come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And now then, you know, last week when we talked about making disciples, making disciples who make disciples. So this is what's happened. Epaphras' life, he became a disciple under the ministry of Paul, and now he has gone and he has made disciples. And they've become a little community. And Paul writes to them and says, hey, listen, he begins to try to help. The whole purpose of this letter is to let them know that Jesus is over everything. I'm, this is not going to be on the screen, but 
Look at, look at, at uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Really, go back up to 15, because he's talking about Jesus, and what he says here is this. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is over everything. He was involved in the creation of everything. Everything is about him. Everything is for him. Jesus is over everything. This is why he wrote to them, but he also wrote them to, to make sure that they understood something. That listen, there is false teaching. There is all kinds of different uh, things that are infiltrating into your body that you need to be aware of. You need to, you need to, you need to keep aware of. You need to listen to what it is that Epaphras is teaching you. The gospel that he heard, that he is pouring in, the words that are coming from him, you need to continue to follow after them. Now, we're going to see. Today's kind of a little opening just to get us ready uh, for where we're headed. But we're going to see in the coming weeks that Paul is addressing some false teaching that had happened. And some of it was from a Jewish standpoint. It was a Jewish legalism. They uh, had food laws that they brought back in from Judaism into this little biblical Jewish community. And they would say, listen, if you don't eat these things, if you don't observe these days, if you don't follow these festivals, and Paul's writing to them and he's going to tell them, hey, listen, listen, it's not Jesus plus these things. It's Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's him and him crucified. But I don't think it's just Judaism that you're going to see. What we are also, we're also going to see is that it was also a, a mixing. Uh, the word syncretism, I don't know if you're familiar with it. The word syncretism, it means to sync up other religions with Christianity. Remember, they were still in the days and the heydays of the classic Greek gods, uh, Zeus, Artemis. This is where uh, the, the temple of Diana and Artemis, the Ephesus was the epicenter, the epicenter of her worship. And so some of these practices were coming into the church. So you had these different factions that were coming into the church and it was creating havoc here you have a young church, and what we, what we don't realize oftentimes is this, is that we're talking maybe 20 or 25 years after Christ has gone back to, to, to heaven. The letters of the New Testament are just starting to come. This is one of them, and it would become a circular letter. You're going to see at the end of this, of this book where he talks about, hey, listen, when you finish reading this letter, you send it to, lay, to the church at Laodicea, and they're going to read it, and then you take the letter from Laodicea, and you read it. It was a circular letter. It's how they were beginning to learn. It's, they were in, it was the, the teaching of Paul, helping them to know how is it that you, we're to live uh, in that day, in that time. And I want you to listen. I want you to think, does this match who we are today? In, in that day and time, you could worship Jesus, and he was all right. You just needed to add him to all the rest of the gods. Do you remember when we were studying in Revelation about the, the churches who uh, 
those seven churches, and they were not able, those workers, those guild workers, they were not able to get their, their, uh, their cards for business because they wouldn't bow the knee to Rome. Well, listen, as long as you're bowing the knee to other, other gods, you can add G- Jesus can be one of the gods. And he says, no, 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 that's not how this works. It's not how this works. He says, it's not Jesus plus everything, it's Jesus over everything. Jesus is the preeminent. He, he alone is who we follow. He alone is who we go after. So with that today, as we jump in, as a little bit of background, there is a drum set right behind me, excuse me. As we jump in, there are three things that I want us to see today. They all start with G, nice little alliteration. Hopefully that will help you begin to grasp and remember this. The first thing that we're gonna talk about is his greeting. We're gonna talk about Paul's greeting. The second thing that we're gonna talk about is Paul's gratitude. His greeting, his gratitude, and the last thing we're gonna talk about is his gospel, the gospel. So with that, let's start reading. And I'm gonna read verses one and two. We're gonna look at his greeting. Colossians 1, 1 through 2, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Now, again, I told you, Paul had never been to Colossae, but what he's wanting to do here, what he's trying to help them to understand is their identity. He wants them to understand who they are in Christ. Though Paul had never been to the church at Colossae, I I truly believe that Epaphras had had talked to them about Paul. The people who are spiritual mentors to you, you talk about them, don't you? People who've made an impact in your life, you talk about the impact that they've had in your life. And I can imagine Epaphras would have been talking to them about Paul, just like now Epaphras has gone and talked to Paul about the church to say, hey, this is what's going on. This is, this is who I learned the faith from. Uh, what do I say? And he delivers it back. Not only does he deliver it back, but he brings the letter back. And notice what Paul says here. Notice how Paul identifies himself. He identifies himself in verse one as saying that he is an apostle. Notice it says he's an apostle. An apostle is someone who goes on the behest of someone else. They're a sent one, but they're not sent on their own power. They're sent in reference to someone with the authority of someone. Did you notice who Paul says he's an apostle of? Notice it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's the one that saved me. He's the one that called me. And now I go because of him. And did you notice what he also says here? He says, It's by the will of God. He says, listen, I didn't choose this. Jesus chose me to be his sent one. He rescued me. He opened my eyes. Those, we'll we'll hear more about this as we go on. When he was on the road to Damascus, uh, a bright light shone and he heard Jesus. Jesus called him. He set him aside for the work of the Gentile nations because up until then, this was a a little Jewish sect. And now he says, Paul, you're going to be my apostle. You didn't choose this work. I chose it for you. That's a word for us today. If you're a follower of Christ, you realize that he chose you. He picked you up. He opened your eyes, the scripture says. He he knew you before the foundation of the world. He set you where you are doing the things that you're doing. So if you're hating where you are today, 
If you're hating where you are, you're hating the job, you're hating the life, you need to remember as a follower of Jesus, he put you there. You are there by the will of God. You are his representative. Now, as, a, as an apostle, I don't think, I believe that there are no more apostles today from the standpoint of an apostle from the standpoint of someone who was directly called and saw the work of Jesus and Jesus met with them and said, I'm setting you aside. I do believe there, is the, there, there are apostles, let's say the office of apostle, I think is a closed office, okay? But we are sent ones. All of you function in a way as an apostle, as a sent one, as a representative of Jesus. You realize you don't go on your own accord. You go because Jesus has sent you. We don't do the work that we do because we have the power. We do it in the power of the one who sent us. We have nothing to say except for representing what it is that Jesus has to say to the people that he sent us to. You see, Paul is letting them know, listen, this is not my, this is my identity. My identity is as an apostle because of Jesus. He's the one that has set me aside. He's the one that has called me. He's the one that's put me in this position. He's the one. So therefore, what he is speaking isn't speculation to them. It's revelation. You know, speculation is just some good ideas from broken men who are in a broken world trying to talk about broken things. It's not even a scientific hypothesis. You know what speculation is? Speculation is what you do around the water cooler talking about politics and football and mama and daddy and all those kinds of things. Revelation is the word of God. It's what he has revealed to us as truth and about who we are, about what it is that he's called us to do and who it is that he's called us to be. And Paul says, listen, I'm here I'm here today because of the revealed word of God. He, I saw him, he called me, he set me aside. So therefore, the words that he has to say, he's speaking the word of God to them. Um, there are some recent studies that have come out like I've, uh, within the last several months. And one of them, it's not the greatest of news. Uh, I mean, one of them talks about uh, less than 20% of people in America. So I want to put that in context. Less than 20% of people in America believe in the inerrant word of God. Now, I've said this a few times over the last few weeks. Talk about we believe this, is, this word is inerrant. What is it inerrant of? It's, there are no errors of it. It's infallible because it was given to us by an infallible God on how to have peace with him you realize this is not a mathematics book. It does have math in it. This is not a science book. It does have science in it. This is not a geography book, though it does have geography in it. You know what this book is? This is how to have a right life and relationship, how to have righteousness and peace with God. And it is inerrant. It is infallible. It is right. That's what we mean. And so less than 20% of America believes that this is an inerrant, infallible word of God. Do you know what's worse than that? Okay, get that, 20%. So you would assume that 20%, if you're even having that kind of conversation, we're, okay, that means probably believers. Did you realize that f- less than 50% of people who proclaim to be followers of Jesus Christ believe that this to be the inerrant word of God? It's no wonder that we who call ourselves followers of Christ are being eaten alive by the culture. 
Now, I want to say this. Following this book, following what it is that Jesus has to say, this is God's revealed word to us, the living word. Now we have the written word. And I want to be really clear. I want to, please hear this. Following this book isn't going to make your life easier, but I can promise you this, it'll make it a lot more clearer. Okay? It'll make it a lot more clearer. In a world today that is philosophically confused, methodologically confused, politically confused, sexually confused, financially confused. There are all kinds of secular worldviews and philosophies that were swirling in the town of Colossae that were making their way into the church. And it sounds good. Now, but it doesn't line up with what the word of God has to say. Everyone's saying but did God say? What is it that he has to say? And so he's greeting them. And he says, listen, as an apostle called by God, this is what he's given me. I give this to you. This is what I bring to you today. Notice what he goes on to say, though. Notice in verse 2. I want you to look at verse 2. Verse 2, Paul states his desire is for the Colossians to experience the riches of God's grace and peace. As an apostle, he's bringing the word of God. What is the word of God? Is a, is a word of grace and peace. So what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited. It means I bring nothing to the table. It is him giving me a gift that I didn't do anything for. I can't even earn it. That's what Ephesians tells us, that we are saved by grace. It is the gift of God. You can't even earn it. So that way, no man can boast. He says, listen, he brings you this. And listen, I want you to hear this. I want you to experience it. I want you to be living in it. I want you to be walking in it. Grace and peace to you, he says, from God our Father. The word grace, unmerited favor. The word peace is the word in Hebrew. It means shalom. You've heard shalom. You know what shalom means? Shalom means peace. But it's not just peace. It's internal peace. And the places where I am, I experience peace externally and internally. That means that when I walk into a horrible situation, when I walk into a bad situation, when when I'm in a great situation, I feel an inner peace about where I am and who I am. I'm experiencing that peace And though the world around me might be swirling, maybe you're in the midst of all kinds of things at work that feel topsy-turvy, but you are experiencing a peace deep within you. And people look around and they go, there's something peaceful about you. You're not not freaking out like everyone else. You're at a hospital because there are medical situations going on in your life. Yet there's a peace about you. Why? Because you've experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, the unmerited favor of God that has been gifted to you. And you begin to realize that there is a peace about your life. That is a peace that you do nothing with. He gives that to us. And then we begin to walk in that. We begin to experience that. How do you get that grace and peace? Well, one, it is a gift of God. But two, it is walking in his inerrant, infallible word and walking out what it is that he's given to us and what it is that he's called us to. Whether it truly makes sense in the situation that you're in. 
you ever been in a situation that was very, very difficult and the Lord reminds you from the scripture and you thought, oh, I don't know if I really want to do that. But then you do it. And when you do it, you, it, it, it may not have cleared everything up, but you know what it did? It brought clarity to you. It brought a peace to you because you realized in that moment, I've been obedient to what the Lord said. I've been obedient. That's how we experience grace and peace that Paul is speaking to in his greeting to them. This is what it is that he's called us to. So he opens up by helping us. He greets them and he calls out his identity to them so that they begin to understand. Notice the second thing though, real quick. He begins to talk about his gratitude, verses three through five. We always, now who is we? We is Timothy. Timothy may have been the, the scribe for him, okay? Timothy, Timothy was a worker. He was not an apostle, all right? Uh, Timothy came along with Paul to work. Paul had been called by Jesus. Timothy was the one who was saved and came along. So he says, we, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, we have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. In verse three, Paul said he and Timothy are always thanking God for them. He opened his letter. Now, he could have opened his letter kind of rebuking them. Hey, listen, I hear you falling prey to all of this Jewish legalism. You're a polytheistic group who's now syncing up with the Greeks, but he doesn't do that. What he does is he commends them for something. I mean, he is commending them. He's encouraging them. He's trying to inspire them. He's trying to help them to understand who they are and what they've been given. Hey, I see this happening in your world. Have you ever, have you ever been so focused on something and a situation with someone that you just kind of rushed in? And this past week, uh, I was walking in to see one of our staff guys, and I kind of walked in, and I went straight to business. And all of a sudden, I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, how's your week been? <laughs> You've been, you've been doing okay? Uh, and I ask about his mom and them and all that kind of stuff, you know, just kind of checking in. What Paul is doing here is he begins to help them to understand, hey, I'm seeing some things in you, and it causes me to pray for you. We thank God for you. What, are, what is he thankful for? Well, he says here he's thankful for their faith, their love, and their hope. The very first thing he says is, I'm thankful for your faith because he recognized this, that their life had been changed because of the word that Epaphras had spoken to them. Not because there was power in the, in, in the words, but because he spoke truth. He, he reminded them. What was the truth that he spoke? It was called the gospel, the good news. What is the good news that Epaphras spoke to them? That Jesus came, the son of God, he lived a perfect life, that because he lived a perfect life, it threatened everyone around him, and they put him on a cross, and they killed him. They laid him in a grave, and on the third day, he arose again, and when he arose again, he walked, and he called his disciples back together, and he said, listen, I'm about to leave you here, and through you, I'm going to change the entire world. It won't be because of you. It'll be because of the Holy Spirit who comes to reside in you, who empowers you, they were reminded of this, is that today, today, right now, then and today, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And you know what he's doing for us? He is interceding on our behalf. 
Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, he lives to make intercession for us. He is asking the Father right now, open their ears, God. Let them hear. God, would you allow the Holy Spirit, uh, call them to salvation today. They're praying for this person. They're praying for this sister. They're praying for this need. And he intercedes on our behalf. He what was that? What is it? What were they faithing? They were faithing that because Jesus is alive, he's going to return again. He's going to come. If he said, he told John, listen, if I go, or John writes as he talked to his disciples, if I go, I'm going to come back and get you so that you can be where I am. Do you realize, church, listen, do you realize that Jesus is coming again to take those of us who know him as his children. We are his followers. We've submitted our life to him. We've trusted him. Do you realize the scripture says, Jesus himself said he's coming to get us? This is what he's praising them for. He's praising them because they are, he's thankful for the faith that they have exhibited in that gospel. Look at verse four. Verse four says he's thankful for their love. I, I struggle with this. You know, true faith is never silent. You realize that, don't you? True faith is always expressed in love. Not just verbal love, but like action, physical, moving, putting the needs of others above myself, going out of my way to, to help and love and walk with you. I, I, would event, I would venture to say that many of us struggle with that. As a man, oftentimes it's very difficult to tell someone that you love them, even those that are closest to you. Jesus says here, listen, if, if the way their faith has been exhibited, they, they see it. It is seen in love. So much so, verse 8. Did you see what verse 8 says? Verse, verse 8 talks about, and it has been made known to us your love in the Spirit. You realize that love is a fruit of the Spirit. And he says to them, I'm thankful. I've seen your faith. I'm thankful. I've seen your love. It's been obvious. Epaphras is speaking to me about how you have been changed. And so Paul says, listen, I know your faith is real because you're loving people. Epaphras is saying this. In fact, he even talks about how what's happening there in Colossae, as we read in these first eight verses, is that uh, the, this faith this gospel, it's making a change in the entire world, all of the region there. The gospel is going forth because your faith, because of the way you love people, and then he closes out with their hope. Look at verse five. Verse five says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this, of this you have heard before, the word of, before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Listen, this hope that he is thanking them and saying, listen, I am so thankful for the hope that you're exhibiting. This is not a hope that is like just a, I hope my kids don't like act a fool tomorrow at school. I hope the economy is going to come back. I hope that I can sell my house. I'm hopeful that my team, we're not talking about that kind of hope. We're talking about a certainty. We're talking about a certainty. And what is that certainty? That the one that I've placed my faith in, the one who loves me, Jesus, he is my hope. So many of you today, myself included, you may be walking into a difficult situation and your hope may be in financial planners, it may be in doctors, it may be in lawyers, it may be in a child, it may be in a spouse. That's misplaced hope. Our hope 
is in Jesus. And he says, listen, you who are in Colossae right now, I'm very thankful. I'm thanking the Lord for you because I've heard from Epaphras that you love Jesus. You have placed faith in him. You're loving people as a result of that. Not only are you loving people, your hope in the midst of the difficult situation that you're in, all of the teachings that are coming, those crazy mixed up things that you're, you're struggling with that are pressing in, you're hoping, you're, your hope's firm in Jesus who one day will come to take you. This is what it is that he's speaking today. Did you realize uh, over, or, or you'll remember this, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, where he talks about uh, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest thing? Because right now there's going to be a day when we no longer have to hope and we no longer have to have faith. You know why? Because we will have seen the one that we've had hope, for, hope in. We will see the one that we've had our faith in. And there will be no more need for hope and faith, but love will remain because we'll spend the rest of our eternity loving Jesus. You will know they are my disciples. How? By how they love one another. And this is what Paul is thankful for, for this group of people. He's thankful for their love. And number three, real quickly, is this. He greeted them. He told them of his gratitude. Now he wants to talk to them about the gospel that he's seen and heard. I want to go back to verse 5. This is a little throw here. I'm going to go back to verse 5. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Verse 6, which has come to you as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Verse six, Paul says he's thankful for the gospel because it's bearing fruit in their lives. What was the fruit? They were, he, they were exhibiting faith. They were exhibiting hope. They were showing out. They were showing out the love of God. This was bearing fruit. He was thankful for it, that it could be seen. This would, Remember, they lived in a Gentile region. This was a Jewish sect that grew out of a Jewish sect, yet it had the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ had exploded all those things. In one church, there was Jew, there was Gentile, there was male, there was female, there was rich, there was poor, there were ethnicities galore. And he says, listen, the gospel has changed you. And it is very evident. It is very evident that, he, that that's happened. There was proof that God was working, that there was proof that God was saving. There was proof that God was changing lives. And I, I want to stop for just a moment. I want to side note here. Folks, I, I want to tell you, that proof is evident in this church. As I look around and as I see, uh, listen, I'm seeing men and women. I'm seeing students who are walking in faith. They're trusting the Lord. They're not certain what the next thing's going to hold. There are people that I talk with on the phone, that I pray with in the hallways, who they're not certain how this is going to work out. But God, I am trusting you. My faith is in you. My hope is in you. I'm watching you 
individuals. I know because I hear how you're pouring in to someone else. There are people who are in need that you are rushing in and you are helping them. You're coming alongside them. You're putting your arm around them. You're calling them. You're sitting by their bedsides. You're praying for them. You're opening your wallet so that they might be able to have things that they do not need, that they don't have. This is what it is that the Lord is doing in this body. This is what it is that he's calling you. And I want to say there's proof that there's changed lives happening. And because of that, we can look around and know, man, God, you are doing a great work here. And I need you to hear me say, there is much gratitude. We thank God for you. Often, when we meet on Monday mornings, it, we pray for you. We thank God for you. We intercede on your behalf, and we thank the Lord for the faith that you're exhibiting, that you're walking in. Listen, I see what it is that Paul says here, I see in you. But you know what else Paul's talking about here? He's talking about Epaphras. Epaphras, whose life has been changed, and because his life has been changed, there was a church that was happening. Epaphras, he was in the midst of a crazy world. Everything that we've just described that he was seeing, he sat somehow in Ephesus, and he heard Paul teach, and the Lord opened his eyes, and as a result of that, he was saved and changed. He, he crossed from death to life. He was once a blind man, and now he could see. He had understanding into what the scriptures meant because someone had lived sin and shared the gospel, and now his life had changed. And as a result, there was a church in Colossae. Not only was there a church in Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis, we don't have a clue. No one knows how much time Paul spent with Epaphras. We don't know how many times they were together. It could have been one. Could have been multiple times. Because of what I see and the relationship of Epaphras going back to him while he was in prison, who was willing to identify with a prisoner who was sitting in prison because of proclaiming the gospel. There must have been a connection there. We don't know how much time. We don't know how much discipling. But what we do know is that his life had been changed. And as a result, he was willing to lay his life down for the gospel. Because the gospel had changed him, he was willing to lay his life down. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Paul, Paul says, the gospel is bearing fruit among you since the day you had heard it. I'm going to say something to you that you may have to think about. I think one of the reasons that we struggle so much in our walk with Christ is that we don't exercise the things that we already know about Christ. We, we want to have deeper and deeper Bible studies when in reality, what we really need to do is we need to begin to walk out what it is that we already know about who Jesus is. Do you realize that today, if you want to experience the Lord, I said this last week, you want to experience the power of Jesus, then you start telling people about Jesus. You want to see things change in your life, then you start orienting everything in your life around the one who is over everything. 
the one who is over your job, the one who is over your uh, kids' sports, the one who is over your kids' drama, the one who is over your job, the one who is over your vacation home, the one who is over your retirement, the one who is over all your plans. When we begin to orient our life towards the one who is over everything, when we're willing to step out and begin to speak the gospel. Listen, uh, teachers, you've been prayed for so much this last few weeks, and we're gonna continue to pray for you. I recognize, and I need you to hear me say, I recognize you take the gospel into your classroom every day. Probably the way that you're going to exhibit that gospel is you're going to let salt, and you're gonna be salt and light. You're gonna live out and do the best work that you can do so that when you're outside of that classroom and someone comes up and talks to you, you have the ability to be in this to speak the gospel. This is your opportunity. If he opens the door for you there, then listen, you trust him in the midst of that and you speak the gospel. I'd say the same thing to you as it comes to your workplace, as it comes to your, uh, wherever it is that he has you. Students in a classroom, we begin to trust. We have faith, we have hope, and we love people. So we share the gospel. And come what may, here's what I can tell you. If he is guiding you in that direction, he's going to provide for every need that you have in the middle of that. If it costs you greatly, he will provide greatly for you so that you can survive these days. In the midst of a mixed up, crazy world, this is what he has called us to. This is what he's called us to. You know the promise we have from his inerrant, infallible word is this, is that because you've surrendered your life to me, because you've placed your hope in me, because you are loving people, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. He's promised to go before us. Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus, he is the one that does the work. And just as Paul is writing to this group of people to say, listen, Jesus is over everything. You can trust him. Epaphras tells me that there's great things going on. Yay, keep running, keep going, keep going. Listen, I want you to know he's gonna, here soon, he's gonna kind of come around and say, now there's some things we need to talk about because his commendation, his greeting, his, his gratitude for them opens the door for him to talk about some very difficult things that they're struggling with. And he's gonna call some people to the carpet. But today what he talks about is he's, he's encouraging us to go and run the race. So Kyle, what does all this mean for me today? Yeah, okay, he's greeted. He's told me thankful. He's talking about the gospel. You talk about the gospel every week. What, 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 what do I do with this? Here's the first thing I want you to hear me say, okay? Here's the first thing I want you to hear me say. If you're not in the word, would you get in the word? Would you open his word? Some of you today, some of you today, you're trying so hard. You're, right now, you're thinking, oh, I got to get up in the morning. I need to try harder. No, you don't need to try harder. That Jesus has already done the work for you. You don't have to try harder. What you do is you get up and you meet with him. You meet with him. And when you begin to meet with him in his word, as you begin to meet with him in his word, here's what he begins to do to you. He begins to remind you of who you are in him, your identity. You're a child of mine. Yeah, I'm gonna protect you. I'm going to guard you. I'm going to provide you. 
I'm going to provide you the resources. I'm going to provide you so that you'll know. Remember, Jesus said, don't worry about what they say, what you're asked when you're drugged before authorities. Listen, you don't worry about what say when you walk into your classroom, when you walk into your workplace, when you walk into the store next to you, when you're meeting with your neighbor. You don't worry about what to say. You've met with me and you speak my words. You trust me. Don't try harder. Trust Jesus. Some of you are going, oh, that sounds really good. Uh, Listen, I had to do this this weekend. As I'm meeting people, the Lord is reminding me, speak my name. Speak about me. Don't hide who you are. You know what happens when someone finds out you're a preacher, don't you? Don't hide who you are. You let let me take care. You walk in this. Don't try harder. Meet with him. Trust him. When you hear him speak, then you respond to what it is that he's called you to. Some of you today, you're not responding to what he's called you to because you're not hearing him speak. He's speaking, but you're not hearing it because your ear's not attuned to his voice. And as you begin to hear and you begin to obey, you know what you're doing? You're expressing your faith in him. Faith is not just believing. It's you're acting it out. You're walking in it. You're walking in it. And you're going to begin to see him open doors. You're going to see your life change. You're going to see the lives of people around you begin to change. This is what Paul is calling the Colossians to. This is why he has written this. And some of us today, we need to be, as we're doing all those things, you know what we're doing? We're living sent for Jesus. We're being the disciples he's called us to be. We read more, we study more. We don't try harder, we listen more. We walk out what it is that he's asked us to do. We be obedient to that. And you know what begins to happen? Lives begin to change. Mine first. And then those around. This, this is the word. This is the word that Paul sends to the Colossians today. To him who has ears, let us hear today. Father, we love you. We honor you and we magnify you. And I ask that today, God, would you do a work in our lives that only could be attributed to you? Father, I'm asking that today you would call us to lay down the things that have so easily gotten us entangled, that keep us from running the race that you've laid out for us. God, the things that have distracted us, the things that we've begun to uh, put our faith in over your word. Uh, God, the things that keep us up late at night or into the evening that keep us from spending time with you, meeting with you. God, when we meet with you, I pray that our ears would be attuned so that we hear you, so that we can then walk out what it is that you've called us to be and called us to do. God, I'm thankful that my identity is in Jesus Christ. I am who I am because of who you are and who I am in you. May I live a life that is worthy of that. And I know, Father, that as we live in your word and walk that out, we'll find true peace, true happiness, true identity. Father, I'm asking that today, that for those in here who do not know you, the words that I've spoken today, they've wrung something in their spirit. God, would you give them a courage, an ability, a drawing that they would respond to your spirit, 
I pray that you would save them, that they would begin to trust you. God, would you let them come and let someone know so that we can walk with them also. This is what we do as brothers and sisters. We magnify you today, Jesus, and ask that you would have your way. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things today. Amen. Don't you stand? How do we respond? Well, we respond by praying. We respond by being obedient. Maybe you want to come to the altar. Maybe you want to meet me at the back and you want to talk. You give. You sing. Uh, Maybe you want to talk to somebody in here. You go over and you pray with them. Don't avoid what it is the Spirit has called you to today. Timmy Tape, lead us, please. Thank you.